From Glitch HQ on Riverside Avenue in exploratory polemic Minneapolis, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Martha McGarry, and I make nice games. I'm Steve McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Martha Croy, I too make nice games. For this week's episode, our topics are researching for your game and game dev philosophy. And so, if everyone is ready, let's start. Did it? Yeah, it was just one take. No, yeah. no need to... <laughs> I was shocked that I got it all because those were some complicated words we had up at the top. Uh huh. Polemic, ex- exploratory. Those are long. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a little while. Has it you're doing this one? <laughs> yeah, it's been a little bit. <laughs> so I, I think maybe GDC is happening right now for people listening, but not for us. <sighs> Maybe. <laughs> I'm trying to think. Uh, if, 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 okay, we got one and then the one after that. This have- is great content. This <laughs> is great content. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you're at GDC, uh, have fun. Or go home already. Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? I'm still happening. Um, but uh, uh, last year we did some GDC specials. Yes. Um, Martha and I were down there. This year I'm going. And so rather than bring all our equipment and record an episode down there, uh, you guys are going to have me phone in and we're going we're gonna to do a, a special. So yeah. uh, that'll come out, you know, eventually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so look forward to that. For sure. For yeah. sure. Um, in other news, I got a new job. Hey. Yay! <laughs> go Steven, I, go Steven, go Steven. Oh, thanks, Martha. <laughs> um, so I will be working at GameSmart. Uh, they make web browser and mobile games. I'm a game developer there, mm-hmm. which means it's a combination of programming and design, which is literally perfect. Yeah. So <laughs> no, it's great. It's it's good. I mean, they and what like the, you had the interview and you're like, oh. I'll hear eventually like sometime and they got back to you pretty quick. Yeah, they did like in a yeah. couple days. <laughs> yeah. So they, they wanted you and they got you. It's really exciting. Yeah. I'm really yeah. excited for this. But job. they don't, they don't use unity over there. Do they? They do some, but uh-huh. not a lot. Yeah. So it'll be an adjustment. Yeah. Well, it's a learning for you, right? Yep. Yep. In, in a new engine and new tools. And that, that doesn't normally excite you, but I think once you start doing it, you're going to love. Yeah. Learning all and that I'm, stuff. I'm also just looking forward to working with, cause I know some of the people who work at game mm-hmm. so. Uh, it'll just, it's just going to be great. Yeah. It's perfect for you. Yeah. We're all, we're all so excited. <laughs> uh, another news is it's Mario day today. As we record. As we record. Today's March 10th. Yes. Do you get it? Do you get it? <laughs> March 10th. Uh huh. I mean, it's just, I posting Mario images on Twitter. I feel like I'll take any excuse for that. <laughs> um, but Steven, you don't like Mario Day. I, I just, I don't know. To me, it just seems like defend your heretical position. I can't defend it. <laughs> but to me, it just seems like it came out of nowhere, and it and like a Nintendo attached itself to it, mm-hmm. and now it's like a Nintendo thing. And you know, I love Nintendo things. I was going like, to say, what's the problem so far? <laughs> this is a really conflicting emotion for me. I don't uh-huh. know. I don't know exactly. I just don't like it. Uh huh. Steven doesn't weird. like puns. Steven doesn't like puns. <laughs> don't tell people that. Yeah. <laughs> Feeling a thing strongly and knowing that you're wrong is pretty conflicting. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. But yes, all of y'all celebrate your your Mario's and your. Luigi. That's what it is. Maybe it's because mm-hmm. Luigi doesn't get enough credit. We need a Luigi. He got day. a year of Luigi. Yeah, just one year. It's Mario Day every year. There's been what 2018 Mario Days, uh-huh. and only one <laughs> year of Luigi since the birth of Mario. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Goodness. <laughs> well, there are people who say the year of Luigi never ended. 
Yeah, I'm on that train. It's always the year of Luigi. I agree with that. <laughs> it's the millennia yeah. of the peach. <laughs> <laughs> that, that should happen. I'll have to much. link to that video. Yeah. Well, speaking of Nintendo, there was a Nintendo <laughs> yeah. Direct. And yes. there was some interesting news there at the end there, Stephen. Oh, yeah. Did you catch that? Smash. <laughs> My coworker was like, you have to watch this video. And I was like, what? And he's like, it's from, it's from Nintendo Direct. You just have to start watching it. And I was like, okay, this is Splatoon. This is Splatoon. Okay. I, 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 I guess I... Oh, my God! <laughs> Steven's going to be so excited! Yeah. So, here, I was there with Steven as we, we watched this together here at, at Glitch HQ. And um, at the, he was like, there's going to be Smash. I'm like, Steven, don't put your hopes up. Yeah. And then uh, the final sort of, oh, and one more thing. And then you see the Splatoon bit. And Steven goes, it's Smash. Yep. And I'm like, what, <laughs> Steven? Don't, don't do that to I yourself. And he's like, no, it's totally Smash. And I'm like, all right, fine. You And then it was Smash. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell because I've seen all the trailers and, they, and it had the same style of trailer. Uh-huh. I just, I'm curious to see if this is going to be a new Smash or um, a re-release of, of the um, yeah. Wii U version. I'm hoping it's just a re-release. And it seems like just based off of how the trailer looked. It's going to be a release. You're hoping? Because you like Smash 4 a lot. I really like Smash 4. Yeah, yeah. And so I just want them to put it on Switch so more people play it. I did see a really funny tweet about it. That there were someone said, like, they're sort of mocking uh, Smash fans. Yeah. Saying, like, oh, I really hope it's a brand new one, but they don't change anything. But, like, it's all new. <laughs> and, <laughs> and yeah. Like, yeah, I, I get that. Bring back wave dashes, please. Yeah. Gosh. I don't know. I, I, I mean, Smash is fine. I don't care. Mm-hmm. But, like, <laughs> but I find that Smash fans... And this is this is really going to sound terrible, but like I get this feeling every time I see like reaction videos uh-huh. of people excited about it or like uh-huh. the people who are like so jazzed. I feel like those are the stereotypical gamers that like that that the industry is trying to like tell people that gamers aren't like. And I I'm, I, I can't help but look at them. And go, oh, those freaking gamers! Like I can't I can't help feeling like a Time Magazine columnist or something when I see people react to how excited they are about Smash. I think I just can't help it. I a lot know. of it is like there's a lot of nostalgia and stuff involved yeah. in Smash. And so I mean, I see. I don't like, get that because I have tons of game nostalgia, but Smash is a game that came out when I was a teenager. Like oh, it's it's not it's not it's not that old as far as I'm concerned. Okay, I well, don't know. I grew up with Smash, and yeah. like it introduced me to a whole bunch of new characters that I didn't know about, including Kirby. Uh-huh. So, so you didn't know? You, I didn't know Kirby until I played Smash. you're such a Kirby fan. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So, I mean, that's uh, also like the creator of uh, Smash is also the creator of Kirby. Right, which is why there's so many Kirby characters in Smash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so like it, it holds a special place in my heart. So I, mm-hmm. I, I understand yeah. where people are coming from with those. I'm super excited. Yeah. Because I also play as Kirby exclusively. Because <laughs> <Awesome. laughs> I like being able to get all the different powers. Yeah. That's really like the only button that I know how to use. <laughs> and I don't know how to use combos and stuff. You so. know what? It's, it's funny because you probably know more about the pros in terms of using that ability. Because pros don't, pro Kirby players don't tend to use the powers. It's just not good. <laughs> yeah, I'm critiquing all the pros right now. <laughs> okay, everyone, come at you. you know, when this thing comes out, you got to have like Smash Camp, where you like teach us all how this thing works. Ooh, yes, 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 yes. Please, Smash Camp. Okay, <laughs> sure. That'd be kind of fun. Yeah, because I, like I, I pick it up sometimes. And I'm like, oh, I could totally see how people would love this game, but I never get far enough into it. Mm-hmm. And then the people who really like it know it so well that like they have no patience for me. Oh. So, <laughs> yeah, we should we should do that. Mm-hmm. We should just like play a bunch of fighting games and yeah. teach y'all how. To play. But forget about all that. Uh, Captain Toad. Yes, coming Captain to Switch. Toad was also really cool. And there's going to be new levels based mm-hmm. on Mario Odyssey. I'm very excited. Captain Toad was one of my favorite games on the Wii. What is Captain Toad? <gasps> Time for adventure. <laughs> <laughs> 
This so, sounds totally on brand for me. What yes, is this? In fact, what is you would this? quite what love this? this. So in um, the story here is in Super Mario 3D World, um, there were these uh, side missions starring a new character named Captain Toad, which is just Toad with like a, a, a miner's uh, light on his, on his head. So not that original. But um, the, the, the thing about Captain Toad is that he has a backpack that's so heavy with all the gold that he collects uh, that he can't jump. So uh, these levels where you played as Captain Toad, you would move around these, these arenas and you couldn't jump. So you had to find lifts. And it was very un-Mario in a way. It was kind of this inversion of the Mario of, of play style. And they, everyone really loved these bonus levels. And so uh, Nintendo made a, an entire game, Captain Toad, Treasure Tracker, uh, around this. And it, is, and it really wasn't that much different than the bonus levels. Like in terms mm. of the mechanics, they didn't... A lot of times when spinoffs or little things get a bigger deal, they end up being much more in-depth and complicated. But the gameplay was so focused and tight in those bonus levels, they didn't do much more other than just lots more levels. Um, and it's just super charming. And he has this great sounding voice and just the, the, one of the best characters. And the character was so popular that he appears also in Mario Odyssey, uh, you may have seen him. Uh, oh yeah, I get, get moons from him in all the places. Yep, exactly. Because he goes, he goes on adventures and he gets lost, and yeah. that's <laughs> that's totally his thing. And he just has this like super positive attitude. It's just time for adventure all the time, and he's always so happy to see everybody. Like it's just so great. We need a Captain Toad Day. That's what we need. We do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But I'm excited that it's coming to Switch. I mean, it's the same game. It's not a sequel. I'd be more excited about that. But um, I'll probably pick it up again just to play it again. Um, and it's a great, uh, it really it was one of the last games that made really good use of the Wii U gamepad. Mm. Um, and so I think on Switch with, with touchscreen controls in, in, in uh, mobile mode, I think will be really cool. So yeah. that's exciting. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Anything else from the Direct that like blew your socks off? Uh, Kirby. Oh yeah, well that's just coming out. You yeah, know that. that'll be out. Just seeing a little bit more of it. <laughs> no, but they had they had they had like marks and and a whole bunch of other old Kirby characters. Oh right, I, that was the news, right? Yeah, yeah. it was great. Uh, I really <laughs> want that game. Mm-hmm. I, I you got to play that multiplayer. I played the demo and like yeah. a lot. There's a lot of multiplayer features and stuff. Um, it seems like it wouldn't be as fun with with just single player. So I'm gonna wait until my brother comes back or something. I'll what do we that. chop liver over here? Like, I mean, yeah, actually, <laughs> y'all wanna play? <laughs> it's kind of well, maybe now. <laughs> okay, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I'm totally excited. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was, I was, I was planning on bringing it in, showing it to people. Mm-hmm. That would be fun. Okay, we're gonna do that now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Anyways, let's move on. Uh, Mark, you have a topic. I do have a topic today. Uh, my topic is research for your games. And this is a very self-serving topic because uh, I've been doing a lot of research for my game. I talked about it on our last roundtable about the um, the the uh, city maps I've been making for Metro Nexus. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, for those who missed that bit, um, basically in my game, in the single-player mode, every sort of, think of like a Mario 3 overworld map, like for each world. But in my game, they are subway maps of major world cities. Mm-hmm. So what I had to do is I would I'd research all these different cities and uh, take their transit maps and reduce them to something that felt more like a video game overworld map um, in a way that still was sort of recognizable as that city's transit map and had n- uh, names of places, but felt like if you were from that city, you would recognize it. And if you weren't, then you would you know either recognize it from a tourist map or like you would if you ever went to those places, you would have some connection to it. Yeah. Um, and so as someone who has traveled a little bit in my life, but not a, tra- a traveling person generally, um, you know, I had to do a lot of research into these various places to get the feeling right. Um, and it was, it was really invigorating and exciting to learn mm-hmm. about these places in a way that did not involve like the sort of cliche Facebook, like you have to travel to live kind of yeah. idea. But like knowing about places was so ex- exciting to me in a way that, 
like, because I'm, I'm not I'm not excited to travel or, or go to places, but sure. I always want to learn about places yeah. and, and see them through other people's eyes. And, and so I felt like it, it felt really it felt on brand for me <laughs> to like to do this process. And I didn't know how much of it I would have to do or how much I would sort of um, as I as I was doing it, it, it became more and more natural I wouldn't let myself move on unless I was like sure that this is the way that made sense. Okay. I double checked things constantly. Like, is this quite the way the, the road moves in this way? I would, and you know, it's all just, you know, pretty much uh, uh, publicly available internet research. So it wasn't like a complicated job exactly, but I did a lot of it yeah. and it was really exciting. And I think it gives my game, I'd like to think anyway, it gives a lot of, if not authenticity, it gives it a lot of depth and character. Yeah. It, 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 um, it makes it sort of a richer experience than it would be if I had just, um, you know, if I just if I'd spent less time putting that together, so yeah, for sure. um, I, I think we've posted uh, uh, images of these maps that I've been working on uh, before. Uh, but we'll post them again in these show notes so you can kind of see what I'm talking about. If this isn't totally making sense, um, but the the two main things that uh, that that I did in my research was um, uh, reducing these places uh, uh, so, uh, to so they fit my format, right? Mm -hmm. Which is these overworld maps. Yeah. And the second thing um, that was really important to me was. Um, because my game is kind of, it's this sort of, it's, it's all transit themed, right? It, uh, um, you, you know, you, you fix the subway lines, you go from city to city, but it's set in this sort of like somewhat satirical near future, um, but uh, not explicitly defined. Um, and so I decided, well, in that case, I should do a lot of research into um, uh, a cities that what their expansion plans are, mm -hmm. right? Because it has this sort of like um, public transit positive viewpoint, which is that in the future all cities will have more subways than they do now. <laughs> like that's not true, but that's that's how I feel the future should be. So mm -hmm. um, I, I was looking at a lot of places that um, were either um, that had no public transit, but they had plans on the books, and then I would look at that, and then they'd be sometimes it'd be really really rudimentary plans that were publicly available, mm -hmm. and so I would extrapolate what that might look like. Okay, um, and then there are places like Reykjavik which I included for kind of randomly, but I just sort of stuck to it. And Reykjavik has no, uh, um, they have a, a pretty robust bus system, but mm. they don't have um, a, a subway system or a tram system, anything like that. They don't have anything planned, in fact. Oh. So what I did is I just, I looked at their bus routes. I looked at what their major uh, uh, city centers were, and I sort of extrapolated what a subway system would look like in cool. Reykjavik um, in some near future. And um, that was really fun. And um, a lot of it had to do with uh, place names and uh, being able to have some freedom with that. So um, there's two things I did with that. One is I made jokes and two was I would uh, make uh, sort of cultural or political statements with these. And that's what's been really fun because um, in a lot of places, uh, and this is fairly common where you have cultural clashes over what the name of a public square is or a building that gets renamed. Yeah. Or here in Minneapolis, we have a, 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 a city, Lake Calhoun. Mm. Uh, but Calhoun is a troubled figure, at least in you know, uh, uh, through a modern lens. Mm. And so there's been a lot of um, uh, movements lately to rename things that have, was, were named for him. And that's a pretty common movement in our, in our era. And so I wanted to um, uh, make reference to those things by discovering what those places what those places and issues and people were in the places i was looking at and then sort of imagining a slightly more optimistic future where we do change the names of these things yeah. or we revert it to its original indigenous type name yeah. and um you know the the problem with doing that as a as a as a push is that it's not going to be complete and it's going to be it's going to miss a couple maybe obvious sure, ones right. and that's going to be on me but i i did a lot of research into into that and just sort of trying to keep that optimistic nature going and i found a lot of really good examples of places or um, uh, things that were um, uh, stops that like, oh, it was going to be called this, but it never was. I'm like, mm -hmm. well, maybe in an alternate universe it was, or maybe in the future they rediscover that and rename it for these things. 
Um, so there's examples, you know, in a lot of the cities uh, we're doing that. And I think for a lot of players who play through the game, that's not something they're going to notice or see, but it gives it that depth. And then anyone who is from that city is like, I don't know that stop. That's confusing to me. I, I hope that they look at that and think it not as a mistake, but as something to look up in the same way that I looked up a lot of these things. Yeah. So it, it, it's, it was a really enjoyable sort of little sub project within my game. And it, it leads into the sort of philosophy of, of my, of my game, which like, and I've said this on the show before, it's like an arcade game. It's like, there's not much to, not much of that philosophy that I put into it that could be readily extracted by players. Uh And so it was really fun to find somewhere where I could put it, where it could be extracted finally. And it wasn't just me in my workflow and my process. It was actually something that was in the game now. And that was really, really rewarding. And it really just uh, many, many hours over, over a couple of weeks that I didn't have to spend, but I got so much out of doing it. Yeah. Um, So that was, so I wanted to talk about that as a general topic because um, I wanted to talk about other games that have that kind of extra touch, yeah. what it brings, and then maybe even uh, uh, touch on things that like it didn't matter that much, mm-hmm. right? You know, if we can come up with some examples. Yeah, I really, I really like how um, you you brought it up in your in, like. It, it seems like it added a lot, not just to like your game specifically, mm-hmm. but also to like the process of making the game, right? Yeah, which yeah. is really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't. I, that's something that I think people talk about a lot. Is that like the research can like bring something to your own life, and then like maybe you'll learn something about yourself or learn something about the world that you live in that you wouldn't have otherwise just due to the fact that you're working on this project. Yeah. If nothing else, I know more now. Yeah. And like, <laughs> that's cool. That's just super fun. Mm-hmm. Like I love doing that stuff. It's yeah. Learning, cool. is, learning is grand. <laughs> so if playing a game can get you that feeling too, whether it's mine or any of the examples we're going to talk about, like that's, that's a, that's a thing that gaming can do in a way that, that, that other things can do other forms of arts and media can do as well. Um, but we don't always talk about how uh, games can do it um, because we, you know, it's more common that they don't, mm. I think. Um, but a couple of examples uh, I want to talk about, um, you know, we're not going to like go through a ton of these, but uh, Bioshock is a really good one. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people, you know, the, the research that went into Bioshock, a lot of people understand as technological or, or design wise. It has this really um, uh, art deco styling. Uh, that's uh, of the era that it was the underground uh, city of Rapture was supposedly built. Yeah. A lot of the technology that's portrayed is extrapolated from what might have, if there was an alternate innovation path, you know, as this city went underwater and away from society. Uh-huh. But um, the other main thing is it's the, the research and uh, uh, stuff they put into it on the philosophical elements of uh, Andrew Ryan, the founder of, of, of this fictional city uh, about uh, libertarianism and objectivism and, and, and that sort of and Rand uh, philosophy, which I like, we're not political on this show, but like, I think it's safe to say that like, doesn't have a lot of cachet with modern audiences, like yeah. as an actual philosophy, mm-hmm. libertarianism is alive on the internet, but I don't mind saying, I think it's silly. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to make that nice games club position, um, but I'm getting nods around the table. So, um, <laughs> but you know, uh, Bioshock uh, uses that in, in critique, right? Mm-hmm. But not in, not in direct critique, right? Uh, it's not polemic about it. In fact, uh, it, there you go. Now, vocab word. <laughs> uh, um, is that the is that or was that the word of the day? It's, it's a word at the top of the show. Do you remember? No, I know, but it, <laughs> never mind. Today's watch? smell is airport. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> it's a it reference was, to something. There was a play that I was in in high school. <laughs> anyway, it was it was uh, it was Martha Stewart. And oh. today's color is magenta and today's smell is airports. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. I was thinking of Pee Wee's adventure or whatever. Oh, that's right. The secret word, yeah, right? Yeah, that's, that's what I was doing. Ding. Okay. <laughs> 
That's one of our more delightful diversions. <laughs> um, but it, you know, it, it uh, presents that as the, the philosophy of this place and also mm. shows what the place looks like after it all goes to ruin. And so, you know, you as the player are meant to either understand that that's either the, the fault of the people in charge or maybe it's the fault of the philosophy that built it. And it gives you more to think about. And I think a lot of that, that took research to sort of to present that in a way that is uh, authentic and doesn't say something other than it intends to. And I think that's the key for when you do research for um, when you're trying to present either cultural uh, um, uh, elements, um, uh, historical movements, um, or philosophical tenets in your work is that you really need to know more as much about them so you don't accidentally say something that isn't what you intend. Right, right. Um, either through a, a, an unknowing reference or through a misinterpretation of what you think it is. And I think mm. by the first Bioshock, the first Bioshock did a pretty good job. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, the second one did too, frankly. But uh, I'm really criticizing Bioshock Infinite, which, uh. yeah. but um, but did a really good job of that. And uh, it, it, and I think that is that is a thing that gamers noticed. Right? Yeah, it gave it depth in a way that like even people who are not like teach me a thing about libertarianism, like like you know no no one went into that game with that, but it definitely enriched the experience yeah. in a way that like it contributed to many of its ten out of ten scores, I believe. Yeah, giving it depth. I think yeah. that like, it seems like this. That's what this research like does. Um, we had done a little bit of research for Findance yeah. a long time ago. <laughs> Haven't really been doing it much, but like we have. So in our game, we have this this mini boss called the Jellyfish Queen. Yep, and uh, she looks like a generic jellyfish, but just huge, mm-hmm. and she doesn't have a crown or anything. But uh, <laughs> the last thing I would describe that boss as is generic. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> the first thing is <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, when you see her. Yeah, yeah, you, you freak out. Um, but the, the she spawns um, a bunch of uh, jelly minions. I think we actually call them jelly minions in, mm-hmm. the, in the code. Um, but they look completely different, and I they're based off of a particular kind of jellyfish. Yeah, I don't remember what kind that is, but I will ask my brother, and maybe we'll put it on the show. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like um, when I first started like tweeting about fingents and stuff, I tried to bring up those facts. Mm-hmm. It didn't really. <laughs> no one they didn't get any pull or anything yeah yeah so but i mean like i found that really interesting that we had done that we haven't really been doing that since mm-hmm. um well more and more of your bosses are are more, they're more fictionalized as the further ones you develop yeah they have robot bits and stuff yeah like right that. right and, so, and, it, and it makes more sense in our lore to like have more of the robotic uh mm-hmm. elements and stuff in it than it did in the past yeah so but you also do i mean your characters your main characters and Correct me if I'm going too far with this, but uh, they ha- they all have different personalities that you try to express in like the dialogue that they have and things like that. But a lot of that is it comes from the type of animal they are, isn't that? Uh, I mean, some of it anyway. The unlockable ones do, yeah, sort of. The main characters are generic fish, okay? Because my brother decided he didn't want them to be a particular kind of fish, uh-huh. and I, me and Lane were like, "Please make them a particular kind of fish," and he's like, "No." <laughs> so they aren't a particular kind of fish. I guess they're goldfish. Uh-huh. Except like Doris is purple, mm-hmm. so that doesn't really track. <laughs> but wow, uh, burn! <laughs> <laughs> well, if Charles is listening to this, and I'm uh-huh. sure he will comment and tell me about yeah. it, um, change them. Right, we right, gotta right. update them anyway. So yeah, we have to go back and do it. So well, it sounds it sounds like this is an area where you could put in a little bit more work on that. Yeah, to 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 reinforce that. Mm-hmm. You know? And you know, it doesn't have to be. You know, like you you you've already defined a lot of these character traits, so yeah. you can then. It like oh well suddenly it's like oh this character is shy or something but like this animal it, that would be a weird thing to describe them as well then you can make that an exception right mm-hmm. and you can make that part of it and yeah. so you know you could there's no it doesn't mean you have to change anything but you can just give it that right. the, the depth from just a little bit 
more to it. it sounds yeah. like you want to do that. I do a bit. I, mm-hmm. I think a lot of the art we had done research on, like Gwen is my is my favorite yeah. character of the game, <laughs> and we spent a lot of time. Correction, to everyone's favorite. <laughs> well, no. <laughs> Sparky is the best, yeah. obviously. Uh-huh. Obviously, <laughs> except not really. <laughs> she's she's like she's she's solid second place. <laughs> see Martha's face right now. Yeah, she's. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Martha. Heartbroken. <laughs> um, but we we spent a lot of time looking up a bunch of different penguins and stuff because we were having a hard time coming up with a good look. Yeah. Uh, and Charles had sketched some things. And we were like, ah, I don't know. Eh. Yeah, we had a whole bunch of different penguin pictures and stuff. Because Gwen is a penguin. Because penguin. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And um, we finally, Charles just finally like sketched a thing. And I was like, ah, this is amazing. And then we just went with that. Yeah. 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 Well, you sort of bring up sort of a little bit of the next topic I want to talk about, which is the types of research. And the it's not just like I was describing in my, for my maps, or you were uh-huh. describing for the visual look of the characters. You can have the different types. You can have. Um, things for like mechanical authenticity. So yeah. very often you have things like war games, simulators like SimCity is a good example right. where you know you, you put in the research to understand how, how these systems work and then as you design gameplay elements around them, you understand, you know, certainly you, the, I mean, I think a lot of simulator fans would probably think this is a terrible thing to say, but like you don't want to perfectly simulate a system because yeah. then it's not a game anymore necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, but you want to have it, have that feeling and have that, that, that you, to, to feel correct, right? Yeah. Um, and civilization is a lot like that too. Um, where uh, uh, you know they have obviously a lot of research they've done into their world leaders, which are sort of cartoon character characterized versions of them. But I'm thinking more of the technology tree and about the you know oh, yeah. what would naturally flow, right? So not just what came after what or what came as a result of what, but like as you make your civilization, you will develop things in a different order than they were developed here in the real world. Right. And uh, that game does a lot to make those alternate paths make sense. You know. Um, that you went this way instead of that way, and it still feels like a like an actual civilization, even yeah. though that's not something that exists in reality. And I think a lot of research can give you that a freedom to make choices that are um, that feel real, even if they can't be real or there's no examples. Um, so mechanical authenticity, I think, is pretty important mm-hmm. for games that require that. Yeah, uh, racing games particularly uh, need a lot of that. Where Man, like Turismo and stuff, exactly. Where the things you know, those are not perfect simulators e- either, but mm-hmm. they're designed to feel real, right? Yeah, yeah. Other um, ones, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, narrative authenticity. So historical resources. This is a little bit of what I've been doing. Uh, the, you know, the, the actual places and, and, and being correct about things. Yeah. That's, that's you know, as much as I want to talk about like what you can do with the information. Sometimes what you do is just be right, mm-hmm. you know, and so and don't and don't make mistakes, and that, mm-hmm. that's so that research is required if you're making work that that relies on those things, um, and also things like cultural showcases. So the the one example I'm thinking of is is Never Alone, uh, which is uh, a really we'll put the, a link for that one in the show notes because I think mm-hmm. it's a really great example of uh, the, the of, a, of a team that did the research and it shows and it makes the work a lot better. Yeah, they um, um, also uh, like involved a bunch of uh, uh, leaders local or leaders in, in that community mm-hmm. to like work on the game and stuff, which is, yeah. I think is important. Like that should be part of the research, right? Right. And, in the, and the goal of that game was to, to, sh- to showcase that to the players rather yeah. than it being sort of a, an element or narrative pepper to the game. It was actually the purpose was to, to display that. So that's not something I'm doing, but that's something that if your game does, you have a, you have a different and perhaps more serious, uh, um, uh, demand on you to 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 put in that work, mm-hmm. um, and there and there and um, another recent one, uh, Hellbra- Hellblade, 
um, oh, which, yeah. which talks a lot, and to mixed mixed reactions. In fact, mm. talks a lot about um, for, uh, gamifying and showing um, what mental illness looks like. Yeah, and um, it's a very sensitive topic. And like, kudos for them for making the effort and doing the research. They have people on staff specifically, you know, t- t- to help them uh, do that correctly. But there has been some not backlash, but some reactions that like, oh, that they didn't quite do this right. And I think mm-hmm. that's actually a good sign because yeah. it's part of a conversation. Yeah, and I, I don't think that takes anything away from the game, even even though I'm. I'm, I, you know, reading some of the criticisms of it. I'm kind of, kind of on board with some of the criticisms, but sure. I feel like that, you know, that that is only a credit to their efforts. Yeah, I like think. they made an, an, a conscious effort to to do it right, right, do it right. justice. Yeah, and you know, sometimes if you don't do your job right, it, it results in a counter, a productive uh, uh, effect rather yeah. than a productive effect. Yeah, uh, that's not the case here, obviously, but uh, or not made obviously, but I don't believe that's the case. But I think that the criticisms are a credit to the work that they did. Yeah, um, that it actually it got people thinking about it and got people to because um, that only is means better for future projects in that that vein. Um, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think that I think that like that's very important. Um, but yeah, um, I, I I like what you said, Mark. That like you don't always have to be historically accurate. Right. Your, like if you just because you're doing research doesn't mean you have to be right about everything. Yes. Um, and. It's important to do the research to make sure you're being wrong in the right way. Yes, <laughs> no, yeah. that's exactly it. So yeah. there's a there's two examples in my game that uh, that are that mm-hmm. um, that I really like uh, that I did for my maps. One is in uh, Hong Kong. Um, I wanted to make the so one of the keys in mind was that when I was reducing the maps, I still wanted to be recognizable. Yeah. So um, there's a lot of uh, transit systems where, and then there, there's certain ways that people design transit maps. If you, there's a, a big thing about geographical uh, accuracy versus like um, system legibility. Mm-hmm. So you'll see a lot of systems that look very reduced, um, so that you can see all the all the points are equally apart from each other. So you can read it like a list or like a, a like a grid. But in truth, a lot of the p- parts at the end are miles away, right? They're out in the suburbs or something. And so geographically, it's inaccurate. But there needs to be a balance struck. And so I I have my own view on that, and I, that I've been applying to my maps. And um, there was a in in the Hong Kong map, there's a a line that went out a certain way and didn't have a lot of stops, but and so it was, it was off my map, basically. I would have to make the map too small for it all to fit in the way I was doing it. So I'm like, well, if I just, and I've been, I've been lopping off stuff left and right and reducing the, 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 the complexity of, of, of the, the, the lines for my purposes. But if I got rid of that particular line, I feel like it would lose the character of what the shape is, like aesthetically. And so I'm like, I've got to keep that there. So what do I do? Well, uh, in, in that one, I, the, the line goes out to the airport. And I'm like, that's too far. It's off the map. Mm-hmm. But halfway to the airport is like Disney World. They have a Disney World in Hong Kong. Mm. And weirdly, they have their own separate public transit line that has like three stops. It, it juts off this other line and just goes directly to Disneyland. And it's like that feels this interesting like mix of like public interest and capitalism, you know, like this sort of, you know, how like cities pay for uh, sports stadiums and stuff like that. Yeah. And I have views on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find that th- that's that's an interesting bit of information that I learned about how this system was built. And it was designed. It serves the public, but it also is in service of a, of a, of a corporate entity in a way that's sort of synergistic and you can have. And I think it's an interesting topic, right? Yeah. And so, um, but I don't want to put a Disney World stop on my like. <laughs> sure. Sorry, I just didn't want to. Uh-huh. Um, so I decided that instead I would just uh, I just rename it uh, Old Mouse is what I decided. Oh, to call it. nice. And it's just a fun. It's a joke, right? Mm-hmm. But it also is a reference to that, and it is a bit of a of a commentary on on what that brand is, mm-hmm. right? And so that's a case where being wrong on purpose it had a point, and it was due to the research I did. Yeah. And the other one is another fun one where in San Francisco, there's no. 
a transit that goes across the Golden Gate Bridge, right? Because it's a bridge. It's like, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, yeah. but a lot of times in a lot of science fiction, there's always, uh, um, there's lots of uh, speculative fiction that imagines the Golden Gate Bridge becoming a public transit uh, uh, artery, oh. inst- you know, as a way, as a comment on how the future is. Uh-huh. And I'm like, well, I kind of want, that seems like my jam. I, what, what, what would mine look like for that? And also it allows me to draw that line on the map, right? Because yeah. people who see a map of San Francisco see the, the, at the top of the, you know, the north of the city, they see the San Francisco bridge, mm-hmm. but if there's no, in my, in my map, it wouldn't be there. And so in order to have it there, I needed to have an excuse for a train line to go through. Well, all that's out there is Sausalito, right? Boom. Mm. Like that's boring. <laughs> but in Star Trek, that is also where Starfleet <laughs> command is. Oh, is on the, on yes, the, yes, 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 yes. On the north side <laughs> of the bay. So I'm like, well, I'll, I'll just put Starfleet command in my system. So I have a train stop up there called command. Oh, just wow. at the end. So if someone looks at it and goes, <laughs> I don't know what that is. They will look it up and they will find that, you know, not that I keep it a secret, but that I'm a Star Trek fan. <laughs> <laughs> You would find some way to put Star Trek in your game. That's wonderful. I, actually, there's two other Star Trek references. One, oh, man. <laughs> one is there's, uh, there's a train station in, in Tokyo. It's actually well outside Tokyo, mm-hmm. but it's to the east. Um, and so it's on the way on my world map. It's on the way across the ocean to Seattle in, in the way that my cities are connected. Oh, okay. So that is the direction you leave as you leave out of Tokyo. And this, the station is Kobayashi which is the name of a ship in, yeah. in Star Trek. And so I, I included that station uh, uh, in my subway map, even though it's not part of the subway. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in, um, in Sydney, there's a Botany Bay. So the, I put a station there. Uh, that's another uh, a reference. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm unashamedly uh, throwing those in there. because no, don't take those out. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that's, that's kind of what I'm, uh, I mean about the research. It's not yeah. necessarily about authenticity. It's, mm-hmm. about, it's about expressing yourself as an artist. And, yeah. and those are ways I did that. And I wouldn't have been able to do it as effectively without the research that I did. Yeah. Like, I think that's, that's wonderful. Yeah. That's just like an aspect of things that I don't think people cover really is that mm-hmm. like, if you want to do something justice, like you can look it up and get information, yeah. find information from other people and things. And, and then you can put it in your game and it'll be cool and people will respect you for it. Yeah. So like, it's all good. <laughs> and you learn <laughs> stuff from it all along the way. Like yeah. that's, that's great. That's a wonderful thing. For sure. Um, so there's a couple of examples I want to talk about before we move on. Um, actually, uh, we just were talking about brainstorming them before the show. Uh-huh. Um, but a couple of them are, are uh, like um, like Call of Duty games, at least the earlier ones that were World War II set, yeah. uh, tend to put a lot into that authenticity. It's something they sold the brand on. Uh, that faded as they got more science fiction-y. Um, but recently, Battlefield 1 and then uh, Call of Duty World War II uh, both uh, made a big push, partly because they were um, a sort of a throwback to... So they made it a big part of their marketing push, and certainly it was also something... And I didn't play those games, but I think that's another example of like using it in a way to highlight everything else about it, right? Yeah. Or certainly just to market it, which yeah. is, you know, that's not a sin. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but you mentioned uh, Universe Sandbox. Yes. Uh, so, I mean, Universe Sandbox is when you can literally create your own uh, galaxies and stuff. Right. Um, and I, or you can also just run planets into one another, yeah. which is fine too, I guess. <laughs> but like they, they spend a lot of time uh, simulating all of the different uh, like, they simulate gravity and a bunch of physical properties and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've just seen a lot of videos that sometimes I watch on YouTube or whatever, like science videos where they use the universe sandbox to uh, elaborate on a point that they're trying to make. Right, right, right. Um, so like it's, it's, they, they've spent a lot of time trying to simulate um, the world or mm-hmm. how the world works as best as they could. 
Yeah, and then like it wouldn't be effective without that kind of right. Yeah, you you have to do research in order to simulate something. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Unless you're not trying to simulate something like Goat Simulator, in which case that's fine too. (laughs) Right, and in that case, that the the use of simulator is like a gag, right? As a title, but Mm -hmm. you know, but that too requires you to subvert something. So you need to know a little bit of what you're doing. Right, right. Um, But you mentioned, but Martha, maybe you can speak to this because I know Dylan plays it a lot. uh, Elite Dangerous. Yeah, so Elite Dangerous is a space game where you fly around in your ship and basically. There's not really much to do, but uh, there's this big community around it. And um, but one of the cool things about it is that they've actually like all the places you well, a lot of the places you go are either um, things that we've actually mapped or, you know, know where stars are in the universe that we can see from Earth and uh, or they're like extrapolations of what might might be there based yeah. on research and stuff. So that's pretty cool. And they also try to like um, in the parts that are just made up. They try to, you know, make sure there's a representation of different star types and different, yeah. you know, different types of planets and mm-hmm. different uh, stuff like that. So yeah. it's cool. And it, and it feels like the size of the universe feels, or the galaxy, I guess you can only go in our galaxy, um, feels proportionate. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you're not running at, you know, there's all these like warp drives and futuristic things to get you to places yeah. in but if you're not running on those you'll see like in real time what it would be so it's like this will take you like <laughs> literally millions of years to get to yeah. this other place <laughs> or it will take you you know from the star to the planet that you're trying to get to or the space station you're trying to get to it will take four days yeah right <laughs> and you could in fact take that trip yeah right? you can yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Wow. i love that that the use of real um uh, star charts to to sort of like seed their universe and then extrapolate from it because that feels a lot of what I'm trying to do uh-huh. and I've, I really I'm going to look into that a little bit more to see how they they handle the sort of ed- edges between because I, I've heard nothing but good things about the execution on that uh-huh. wow that's cool mm-hmm. uh, so um, w- I mean you talked a little bit about Fingens, um yes. and the work you've done but like what sort of prompts you to start that kind of because I think a lot of people when they make indie games they really talk about um uh, we've talked about on the show the feeling you want to evoke the yeah. mechanics you want to use yeah. and certainly the story you want to tell mm-hmm. but um, I, the, certainly I, I'm in this mode now and so it feels to me these feels much more of a first class element of that work is like is is looking into these things um, so uh, I talked about what prompted me but what would prompt you guys to sort of go further in that in that that direction mm. and what would maybe keep you from doing it oh okay um, I mean I guess it would just be a recognition that I don't know a thing yeah. and need to learn this thing mm-hmm. in order to put this thing in my game. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what would prompt the research. Yeah. Uh, or maybe like if I have a particular interest in mind, I can't come up. I don't know. If I wanted to make a baseball game, I'd have to learn how baseball works. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know the base of it. You hit the bat. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, why are you clapping? <laughs> Baseball's cool. Oh, I mean, okay. <laughs> well, there you go. I would talk to Martha and Martha uh-huh. would tell me, this is how baseball works. Yeah. You hit bats and no, you don't hit bats. <laughs> See, <Yeah>. already. <laughs> I already don't know what I'm talking about. Um, but like, yeah, I, I would do the research yeah. to figure out like the intricacies of baseball and such. And well, then, that's the question is that's a hypothetical. Sure. But like, would do you think you would want to make a game about something you don't know much about? Oh, because that's uh, the thing I'm curious about. I think a lot of, you know, the, the, they say it in writing, write uh-huh. what you know. Uh-huh. Um, but um, what would prompt you to, I guess, I guess I'm just saying okay. that like, it, it, you're probably not going to make a baseball game. No, probably and not. And par- part of that is because you don't know a lot about it. Yeah. Right? Well, 
I feel similarly about a lot of topics. I wouldn't be interested in like I even though like I I wouldn't make a fighting game because I'm not a fighting game player. Uh-huh. Um, but is like. I could do the research and maybe come up with something good, but like I'm not motivated to do it sure. because I don't know things. Yeah. Well, right. it, it might be ten, I might be tangentially related to something. So like yeah. for example, in in baseball, maybe I wanted to make a game about Jackie Robinson. Mm-hmm. And so maybe I would want to do research about how baseball works just so I could talk tell a story about Jackie yeah. Robinson or something. That's a really yeah, that's really good. Like mm-hmm. things that are adjacent to things you are interested in. Yeah. Um it's it's amazing how quickly you can be you can become interested in something you wouldn't otherwise. Yep. Yeah. Oh, that's how that's how it works. That's interesting. Yeah, so I, I think that's what how how I would do it. Mm-hmm. But I guess in general, like most of the, I feel like most of the games I want to make, I don't need to do a lot of research in them, mm-hmm. unless it's like Stephen. Have you been listening? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, it, it adds a lot to the game, but yeah, I don't yeah, yeah. initially have to do it. Oh, sure, guess. sure. Um, um, but like I'm sure as I would develop the game, I'd be like, hmm, I wonder if this this if this if I'm doing this right or. Or uh, I don't really know a lot about this thing, but I kind of want to put it in my game. Then I would start thinking about it. Yeah, it's kind of hard to come up with like reasons to do it immediately, like just offhand. When I'm sure, sure, unless I make unless I know for sure that I I want to tell this story, but don't know a lot about this part of the story. Right, 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 right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like Hellblade is an example of that where like they had something going in, and so they knew right. what they had to do rather than it coming up as they work on it. Yeah, right. Yep, yep, for sure. Mm-hmm. I think that's how I would have to approach it. Yeah. Martha, your game has a sort of a fantasy setting, which can really all come out of your mind. Doesn't doesn't off the top of my head, I can't think of a reason you'd have to do a lot of like historical research. But have you thought about you know where you would go for other information? Yeah, so uh, I've been doing a lot of research actually, mm-hmm. or planning to do a lot of research <laughs> um, because I want to have like elements of the different cultures that are in our family. So because mm-hmm. oh. uh, um, so my cousins who I'm sort of who are starred are starring in the game basically um their dad is Korean and so I want to like infuse some Korean culture stuff in the castle and also like some stuff from like medieval Czech like Czech Republic or whatever because that's like the other side of the family so like and it'll I don't want it to be like the main focus of stuff but I just want to be like in there so like in the kitchen when they can get food like one of the things they can get is like bibimbap or you know bulgogi or something like that yeah yeah yeah. and then like in the library there'll be books with like you know right uh korean writing on them and stuff like that cool and uh so i've been doing research on that and um yeah and like the cat in the castle will be have a little house that says kochka on it Mm -hmm. for you know check word for cat yeah Mm -hmm. It reminds me a lot, like a lot of science fiction has this idea of this sort of um, uh, like this Sino-American future or something where like everything is half Japanese or half American or half Chinese and half British or whatever like this. And so it would develop these synthesis of cultures that may play out what that might look like. And that sounds a little bit like what you're doing, your world building for the, for the, this, this synthesis that's represented by your family. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. So, yeah, we'll see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe I'll change my whole idea around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's still time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should definitely have a topic in the future of like throwing it away and starting over. <laughs> Ooh, yes. Uh, that happens. Yes, it does. A lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I've ha- have ideas for like other games that I would have to do a lot, a lot of research for. Mm-hmm. Like um I've always wanted to do a farming game that's based on like uh so I used to work for a professor who did a lot of research on food policy mm-hmm. and um, and like what would happen if uh, 
you know, what's going to happen in the future when, with global warming and everything and what sort of plants will be available. And like a game, a farming game that like had that as part of it, like now you're in this, you know, like each year the, the crops that you were able to plant change because oh, sure. the temperature has gone up in your area or gone down in your area yeah, or something. Yeah. Right. And that's all uh, that there's lots of information about what that might look like, but there isn't, there isn't total consensus. Yeah. Right. So that's, that's a really interesting topic to explore, like what it might be like. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. And then like I have ideas for like simulation games, like beekeeping simulator and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Yeah. 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 Um, I want to end this one with just one more reference, um, uh, actually, to uh, recommend our listeners another podcast, um, which is uh, you were mentioning about like you know topics that you're interested in because of something else you're interested in. Oh about. yeah, yeah. This is applies how I found this thing. It's uh-huh. a it's a podcast from ESPN called Madden's Game. It's about the Madden uh, uh, video game, and it's uh, produced by uh, um, the ESPN uh, documentary team that does these thirty for thirty. Um, uh, sports uh, documentaries, mm-hmm. which I, are, are weirdly I'm interested in sometimes because some, they're not always about sports. They're about like the things around it. Um, but I got interested in this because it was a podcast made by the 538 team and they're, they do a, 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 they're data journalists that I, I, I really like. And so, but I listened to this thing. It's so fascinating about how um, uh, EA is making a sports game and it's like, well, we can only put so many sprites on screen in 1989 or whatever mm-hmm. it was. And so we're just going to have five players on each uh, football team. But they, but John Madden, who agreed to put his name on this thing, like was, was like, I will take my name off of this unless you have every player, every position. Yeah. And so Madden became less a football game and more a football simulator from direct input from the expert they hired. Mm. And so they, they were, but then they were forced. They really weren't planning to have it be so authentic. Yeah. I mean, as authentic, I don't know, don't play Madden. I don't know. can't speak to <laughs> its actual authenticity. Um, but it's a, anyway, the, the podcast is, I don't know anything else other than what I learned from this podcast, but uh, we'll put it in the show notes because I recommend uh, game developers uh, should listen to it. It's really, really fascinating. Um, they talk about like, you know, how that game moved through the years and like influence originally and, and how it's being made now. And um, I wouldn't have any interest in how bad games are made, but it, uh, it really uh, turned me on to it. So yeah. uh, we'll, we'll put that in the notes and you guys should t- totally mm-hmm, check that out. For sure. All right. Uh, new topic. Martha, you have a topic for us? Yes. It's um, game dev philosophy. And I thought of this topic because there is this really cool game jam on itch.io called Manifesto Jam. And literally people just wrote manifestos about game development or like anything else that they could think of. (laughs) Um, And I didn't do one myself, but I like got really super inspired by all of the, the um, games and just written manifestos that people made. Um, And I thought it would be super cool to talk about them and also like come up with their own like philosophy for nice games. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it can't just be we make nice games. But what is a nice game? <laughs> ah, got you there. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I guess I'll just go through some of the ones that I thought were cool. Yeah. Um, there's so some people made just PDFs, and then some people made games that had manifestos in them. Oh, lovely. Um, there's one that. I really like called, uh, I was trying to make a game, but my dog was sitting on my lap. (laughs) Um, (laughs) and, uh, if, as you, as you, you play as this, uh, little person and as you go through the manifesto, uh, you're trying to get down to your dog at the bottom and, uh, 
as you go through the manifestos like plays. <laughs> so mm-hmm. um, my dog is not very big, but she's just big enough to get in the way. sometimes she gets cranky and decides she needs to sit in my lap while i'm working but she doesn't know how to lie down like most lap dogs do she sits up straight and wobbles around so that i have to hold her in place (laughs) (laughs) it blocks my view and i have to type with just one hand and i can't move my arm very far that makes it hard to make a game But why should it be that I require a full view or two hands to make a game? So basically it goes through, uh, it takes a long time to get all the way to the end. So I won't do the full thing and you should go check it out because it's cool. Um, but it, she talks a lot about um, like, not only should we make our games accessible, but we should make more tools that are accessible um, to people so that they can make games and not have to be fully able to, you know. Yeah. That's that's a wonderful way to to say that, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for sure. That's cool. Are there other other interesting ones like that? Yeah. Um, okay, here's one called Secret Languages. One, this manifesto applies to all types of games. Yes, even sports. Two, good games are about the player and mechanics. Great games are about people and communities. The communities can be as large as all of civilization, and or as small as two people in a tiny room. Games about mechanics and games about people are in no way mutually exclusive. A game can be profoundly complex in its mechanics and at its heart be about people and communities. Demanding games mechanically or otherwise offer a special place to take risks and experiment, experience failure without material consequences. Embarrassment is one of the best experiences a game in, can give you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that one's really cool. There's like, like 10 points in it. Mm-hmm. Um, these are like some real in-depth ones, I can, I can tell. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this, this one ca- is called Manifesto. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Manifesto. Make games for money. Make games about money. Make games against money. Make games instead of money. Make games alongside money. <laughs> make games with money. <laughs> I definitely make games instead of money. <laughs> I don't anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I, I got the job. <laughs> We're all happy for you, Stephen, but you're pushing it. <laughs> okay, okay. This one's called Rules for Not Losing Myself. People are more important than art. Art is more important than money. Don't be cool. Uh, no game jams. Don't do things just because others have done it. The goal isn't important. It's what you do on the way to it. Mm-hmm. That no game jams is interesting. Yeah, I think a lot of people when they when they do have manifestos or things like this, it's really easy to to say things that don't ruffle feathers, and it's uh-huh. nice that that is just like don't even explain. It's like nope, just, <laughs> just don't do them. That's what that's what, like the cool thing about this is like mm-hmm. I don't agree with half of the ones that are up here, mm-hmm. but it's just so cool to see just so many different ways um, that people think about making games yeah. and like yeah. their philosophies behind it. This one's called a manifesto for gentle games. Don't think of victory and win conditions. Think of outcomes and actions. Make games with unimportant decisions, decisions that don't have an effect on the outcome of the whole thing. Let players adapt your game. Let them erase and change things that you put there. Uh, Make it possible to skip to any part the way you can open a book at any page. Don't lock things until the player finishes other things. Make the interactions in your game meaningful, like words in a poem. Something to hold on in your hands when you need it. Nice. 
See, I can't imagine you agreeing with a lot of that. No, <laughs> but that's okay though, right? Yeah, like that's you, the point. Yeah, yeah you it. don't have to agree with other people's philosophies because people are different. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I find really fascinating about just people is how different everybody is and how different like our our goals are and our ideals are and our dislikes and likes are, and it's it's fascinating to hear all of these different uh, manifestos um, mm-hmm. and like how many I <laughs> don't necessarily agree with, yeah. but like that that. Like they're, everybody's priorities are different. Um, I just, I don't know. I find that very fascinating. They're also like, what I find fascinating is their, their goals as much as opinions. Yeah. Right. Um, I can imagine that person is in no game jams. They've probably done a couple of game jams. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> and you know, uh, yeah. So it's as, it's as much a like aspirations of what you want to do mm-hmm. rather than what you're actually doing. Uh, I imagine. Yeah. And that's like, important, right? To, to know what you want to do. Mm-hmm. A roadmap for yourself. Right, right. Yeah. Which we've always talked about for your game. You want to know what you're going to be doing. Well, dang. Yeah. Now it's like for your life, you want to know what you want to be doing. <laughs> that gets real meta real fast. Yeah. <laughs> Here's one called Games are Weird Tiny Things That Teach Us. Uh, games can't help but teach. Games are tiny. Even the biggest, sprawlingest, most expensive, expansive. Expensive games are only a tiny slice of our imaginations, overcolonized and crowded. Yes, even the games that contain whole worlds are all packed into their algorithms. Games are weird. They stir and shift. Every year, whole genres are transmuted into spice. Whole assemblages of mechanics tossed into bubbling mulligan stew. Familiar but demonstrably different. And it goes on and on. Um, There's one that's really cool that's called note card manifestos and it's not necessarily about games but um this person just wrote out on like physical note cards and have uploaded uh pictures and pdfs of them um just tiny little manifestos about different things um uh, and then at the end has a roll your own manifesto. <laughs> roll a D4 for a broad topic. <laughs> roll a D6 for how angry you are. <laughs> roll a D8 twice for key points. Like follow rules. Break the rules. Things need to change. <laughs> roll a, a D10 for number of controversial opinions. <laughs> That's great. That's really clever. I like that. <laughs> roll a D20 for the word you must include. <laughs> like... Punk, destroy, art, capitalism. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. So, uh, yeah, so that's really awesome. And uh, so what is, uh, do you guys work off of any particular philosophy or like have a manifesto for yourself while you're working on your game or anything like that? I definitely do. I, I feel like I've talked a lot about it on the show before about sort of what my point of view is on it. I, I want, I mean, no one game or no, not all of my games will have the same point of view, but I, I feel strongly as a developer that each project should have a point of view. Um, and whether the audience gets it or not is like, is up, is sort of partly up to you. You know, um, it's also up to them whether they want to accept it or not. Um, but generally I have a, I have a philosophy for my art, which I bring to all of my games, which is this idea of, of, um, of optimism and the idea that people, generally are good and i think that uh, that that matters a lot when i tell stories about um mistakes or villains or mm-hmm. antagonists or conflicts is uh to to understand that 
even if you, you know, you can certainly have villains, right? That, yeah. that are not redeemed or even redeemable. Mm-hmm. But uh, to me, I feel like, you know, um, uh, we're made by our, our environments and our experiences and um, that as a default state, people are good. And I think that it, it doesn't preclude any story from being told, yeah. but that's the point of view I tell all my stories in. And I think that's important in the games I tell. So in Metro Nexus, um, the single player mode, you are, you know, you're rebelling against your, the, your corporate overlords to fix the things that they won't fix, right? And, but at the end, once you fix it all, they recognize that and promote you and then force you to train other people. And so, that, <laughs> and so the multiplayer mode is, you, is, you, is the, the main character becomes the NPC who says, you know, they dragged me in here to show the, you guys how I did it. Oh. And so the, the idea there is like, yeah, you can have things that are wrong or bad, or maybe you'd even call it evil. But like, you know, maybe, a, maybe the world is such that those things can change with the right situations or circumstances or environment. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to think so anyway. Yeah. So that's important to me in the, the stories I tell. But as a developer, it's also important for me to uh, in how I want players to engage. So in Metro Nexus multiplayer, it's competitive, but it's also the mechanics reward cooperation if you choose to. It doesn't force the players to because truthfully, competition is more fun. Mm-hmm. And so uh, competing with your friends is co-opting for an evening. Do you know what I mean? Um, or cooperating for an evening. Yeah. So uh, my game isn't going to force you to play co-op because that's the way. That's that's what because I believe in cooperation. Mm-hmm. It's it presents that as a mechanic that can reward you, but it like, gives you the choice because it it wants you to have fun with your friends. So um, I try to I try to bring that in, in what I do. I like I like the way you put that. I, I didn't thanks. fully understand it before, yeah. but now now it's like that's really cool. Well, thanks. <laughs> um, I can't say that I necessarily have a game dev philosophy. Mm-hmm. At least not one that I can solidly call out right now in this moment. <laughs> <laughs> On the spot. Yes. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I like, should have prepped you a little bit more. No, I mean. Nope, I, this is better. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like even if I had thought about it, I still wouldn't come up with a necessary. I basically, I guess I don't, I don't have a philosophy. I just, what I want my games to do is say stuff about stuff nope that's not good <laughs> <laughs> i want i want i want my i want i don't know i want my games to kind of be personal i suppose in some mm-hmm. ways so like what i really like about making the games is like i will get to explore aspects of things about myself that i like or dislike not even necessarily about myself but just about things in general mm-hmm. so i don't know like with vengeance i got to explore uh uh programming it turns out it's not as terrible as I thought it was <laughs> when I first when I first started when I was eleven. Uh, so like there's like those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to uh, I, there's a lot of content in our game, so like we get to design a whole bunch of new things and interesting things. And I, I got to discover that um, I was interested in uh, playtesting and getting people to play the game. And I found out that like having people play your game and enjoying it and uh, having a good time and seeing that is is uh, like gives me life. Um, so like I want that from my games, mm-hmm. but I don't want that from all of my games because some of the games that I make are personal and they're like they uh, express aspects of my life that I don't uh, portray to people very frequently. So like I, uh, the game gets to gets to like I get to express a part of myself through the game without actively having to per, uh, express it to people if I don't want to. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But I don't know if that's necessarily philosophy per se. It's just that I want, that's what I want for my games. I want to be able to express myself in some way. Yeah, okay. I guess that's a philosophy. I think you, you have a lot more than you think you do. Yeah. <laughs> as, what, as what you described. Yeah, I guess so. Um, that's really great. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's all I really want. I suppose I should come up with something. <laughs> yeah. You did, <laughs> did ask. Did you just us. put yourself on the spot? <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> I guess I was, I've been thinking about like, Games are about communicating and telling a story or like providing a fun experience. But I'm like, what if you made a game that you never showed anybody? Mm-hmm. Would it still like, what's, what's the essential parts of a game that have to be there for it to be a game? <laughs> right. Right. Um, I don't know. But yeah, I guess when I'm making games, I have a similar thing to you, Steven, yeah. where I want to, it's, and I guess you too, Mark, where it's like more, it's about art. It's about making something that communicates something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, expresses, you know, mostly it's, this is really cool. Look at this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. You want your games to show something cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you want you want to elicit that excitement. Mm-hmm. Yes, right? yes, yeah. Because there are different kinds of things you can elicit from players. Like a lot of times, like this game is designed to challenge you or to, you know, but but it sounds like you're really just about it is about that art and that expression, right? Yeah, but I mean, there's also games that I've like. So, I guess I wouldn't ever make a game that is like this is the most challenging thing. But I look at a game like Celeste that just Mm, came out recently and how its philosophy is like, this game is really, really hard, um, but uh, it makes sense and is achievable if you Mm -hmm. like work really hard at it. Mm -hmm. And so I like, I admire that I would like to make a game that has such a clear like purpose behind it. That's so obvious to players. Yeah. Um, But not like, Heavy handed, I guess. I don't know. Sure, sure. Like to be a, like under, like to get it to, to right? To, yeah. To not be uh, inscrutable the way a lot of games can be. Yeah. <laughs> or like have all parts of the game make sense together. Mm-hmm. Be very well, des- like well designed without any like extraneous parts. That's the dream. So it's like Scandinavian <laughs> game design. Yeah. Or like, like I feel like. Japanese design has a lot of that yeah. same sort of stuff too. Mm-hmm. Sometimes. Sometimes. Well, it's like, <laughs> you know, like, um, yeah, I don't know. I just think about, I've seen videos of like tiny little Japanese apartments and how mm-hmm. everything is sort of like stacked on top of each other. Oh, very yeah. Perfectly. Okay. Like, I, I see what you're saying. Uh-huh. Well, um, that's what's doing the photographer is there. What? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> there's, a, there's an article. Maybe I'll, I'll maybe dig this up for the show notes. But um, this the 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 lie of of uh, of like minimalist living. It was a, a someone who had wrote. They were profiled in a magazine about how they're tiny, you know, 400 square foot New York uh, studio apartment. And then they they wrote an article follow up saying, as soon as that got published, my mom called me and said, "Hey, all your stuff is in my attic." Oh. Like, wow. <laughs> Like you're not, do, nice. you're not, do, and, and she kind of owned up to it. And I thought that was really clever. That's funny. <laughs> That's totally off topic. <laughs> I, I think show notes anyways, <laughs> but I mean, you want something that's authentically that and not just presenting as that. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, and I think I've, I've talked about this before on the show, but sort of my, like, as I'm making it, the thing that the philosophy that helps me get over my, like, 
I do a lot of incubating, so I don't do stuff a lot of the time and then all of a sudden make a thing uh-huh. <laughs> or like finish the thing. So I like procrastinate a lot and because I'm nervous about doing something or just I don't have enough time or whatever. But the way that helps me actually start to do something is and get out of the planning phase and into actually doing something is that I'm going to have to redo it anyway is. Yeah. And so I just have to start and do it. I guess we've talked about that a lot, but um, yeah, mm-hmm. uh-huh. I'm not being able to articulate myself very well today. I mean, it's, but, it's <laughs> a difficult thing to articulate. <laughs> Emotions yeah. are hard and you can't, you can't really explain them all mm-hmm. the time. Sometimes you're just angry at stuff and you don't know why, but you just want to be angry at stuff. So that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, also, um, it's it's difficult to take your body of work and experience and then wrap it in a bow yeah. and call it like a philosophy, right? Um, and you're like, but no, but then that doesn't make sense with it. But then if I say that this is what it is, then that other thing, it, because a lot of times it's just we do things for experience or for education or for learning, or maybe we are really excited about one thing, but that's not the thing that forms our philosophy, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like when we were talking about influences, mm-hmm. and yeah. you don't really realize your own influences until after you've done the thing. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's some of those manifestos are goals, but, but we sort of approach the question, what does our work tell us our philosophy is? You can come at it from either side, I guess, uh-huh. but it's not going to, you're not going to get a complete answer. We're just worried about being hypocrites. Maybe <laughs> yeah, it could be. Yeah. <laughs> and well, no, I think about like widget satchel, like we did it during the jam and I, and I'm like, I kind of have to think about how that fits into my, you know, philosophy of like what I want my games to be or how yeah. I want my stories to work, whatever. Yeah. And I'm working with a team who has different ideas on what that might be. And it's like, well, I just, just not worry about that. Like we're just making a game. We are enjoying making it. Mm-hmm. And then we'll, we'll bring to it what we bring to it subconsciously. We don't have to be super mindful about getting it right according yeah. to our own, you know what I mean? Um, but sometimes when you have strong opinions and uh, you, you do try to check to make sure you're true to them, but then that's kind of, that is itself an inauthentic act sometimes. Right, mm-hmm. I catch myself doing that sometimes. Where I'm I, just like, "Does this make sense for it?" It doesn't matter. Like, it's <laughs> yeah, it's, it's in. It, I did it because it's in my nature. It's it's it, it works, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm I'm glad you brought up widget satchel because I hadn't thought about it. But like, mm-hmm. I mean, I I'm the the game design and stuff that I'm doing, the work that I'm doing for it. Like, I, I'm sure that it expresses a part of myself, but I don't think I it, it doesn't express the, the part of myself that I is not expressed in fingence and stuff. Right, right. So like, I don't know. It's but I dang it's it's. I don't know. It's just really, it's, it's cool. to Well, first off, it's cool to be able to discuss this. So thank you for bringing this up. But um, like, it's just interesting that all of these, the things that you work on and stuff like, uh, like you were saying, I think like they don't necessarily have to, to involve, they have, they don't have to follow your philosophies or your ideals or anything. They can just be things you want to work on because you want to learn something about something else. And then maybe you just take that further and, and it ends up being a product that you can sell or not sell or show to people or whatever mm-hmm. you want to do with it. Um, but like at the end of the day, you're learning something and I think you're learning something about yourself and that's important too. It doesn't necessarily have to be, it doesn't necessarily have to follow your beliefs all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, um, between you and I, I think widget satchel much more fits in with your philosophy of work Yeah, uh, that our team is sticking to pretty well. Uh, and as you've articulated it, I'm recognizing that in, in what we're doing for that. And that's mm-hmm. really exciting. Yeah, you know, and then as I work more, I'm doing the art um, for that game, and so I have a little agency to bring some of that to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I have the more we work on it, the more uh, I feel I am bringing that to it. But yeah. I think overall, it fits a lot more with the 
sort of your uh, philosophy and it's it's fun to be it's fun to hitch myself to that way you know? <laughs> yeah I, that's really cool that's another aspect of like working in a team that like mm-hmm. you get like, all of these competing but also synergistic uh, philosophies come together and make one project mm-hmm. and sometimes you have to butt heads in order to get it to the way that you want or the way that the other person want or what's best for the game but like you have to come to a conclusion on that together yeah um, that's really fascinating I think philosophers like however you approach game development can also um, influence like what you work on first. Like I was just thinking about um, Ooblets and how their like their clear design philosophy is we're going to make the things first that are marketable and that we can put on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and so like that totally influenced how they like what things they focused on first and, and stuff like that. What sort of things do you work on first in the projects, mm-hmm. I guess? Um, uh, things follow on from other things for me uh, when I'm working on my, by myself because um, it, I'll work on something and then I'll get to a point where like oh I can't really go any further until I do this or I could go further and leave that alone a lot of times I will go to the other thing uh, to keep my interests going and uh, uh, we talked about on the show before about like doing what's fun now mm-hmm. um, as a way to keep motivated even if it's not the most efficient and that I believe in as a workflow and so I think with the Ooblets team like that might be seen as a kind of a cynical attitude, but also that could be highly motivating and it could right. get more work can get done even if it's not the most efficient way to do it. Uh-huh. And so I, I, I understand that completely. Yeah. Uh, I feel like I just approach it. Uh, I approach the game design first and I think about it for a long period of time and then eventually I'll be like, okay, fine, I'll code it. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I think I just, I, I make sure I get the base game done and then I add stuff on as I feel is necessary after I've showed it to people or played it a bunch mm-hmm. and realized that this isn't working or it is working and I need to put more into it or something. Yeah, I, I focus on getting the base game first and then mm-hmm. getting the rest in after that. You and I work very, I've seen when we've worked together, mm-hmm. like in the same room at the same time, yeah. it's interesting. We work very differently. Mm-hmm. I tend to, I like to sculpt it as I go. And, uh, and I, speaking of even in code and, and art, like I like to sort of start working and then brainstorm as I'm putting it together. Yeah. And you, you, you go deep into your thoughts and often into the corner of the room. Yes. <laughs> and you, and you really think it through in your, in, in your, in your head. Um, and then you come back with like a fully formed idea that you can execute and then iterate on. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think I could ever work that way, <laughs> but I've seen it really work for you. Yeah. And I, I find that super fascinating. I mean, yeah, it's just, uh, it, it works for me, but like, Sometimes I do have to, like in a game jam or something, I have to like code as I'm thinking about it and it's really difficult. Mm-hmm. I don't like that. I like that. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> right. And it's just, it's just different um, yeah. how you uh, get your energy, I guess. Um, but yeah, like uh, it's, it's the reason like we like switch jobs in, in Widgets has recently. Like you're doing a lot of the, the big picture, making all of the levels, uh, the, the, the base levels. Yeah. Um, and then I'm doing a lot of like, I'm making smaller puzzles and stuff. So I get to like, think about it a lot more and then come to a conclusion on what I want to do with the puzzle and then implement the puzzle. Whereas Mark, you can go in there and tool around with stuff and then in, and sculpt the, the whole map. Yeah. Um, as you go. Yeah. I, think it works. I feel pretty productive when I'm looking at something cross-eyed mm-hmm. and kind of filling in the blanks or like this could be this, this or this. And I can imagine it all at the same time, sort of, yeah. um, which, which is difficult in some ways because then it makes a lot more work later, probably. But um, but yeah, when we sort of started dividing up how we were going to put the levels together, uh, you said, okay, sure, I'll make the sort of big, broad picture. That will Then we can start putting things easy. Mm-hmm. But really, that was me suggesting that to you as a way that would 
that would work best for me. And I didn't understand that at <laughs> yeah. first. And then, yeah, we switched and it, it seems like we're getting a lot more done now mm-hmm. just because we're doing what works best for us. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I guess that's an aspect of it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pro- really cool. Yeah. <laughs> Projects managers got to know who does what <laughs> and who's best with what. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So Martha, you wanted this up the top, but what makes a nice game? What is a nice game? According to the nice games club. Yeah. If we were going to make controversial, like bullet point <laughs> manifesto about what a nice game is. Isn't our manifesto to, to be nice and not do that. <laughs> <laughs> our manifesto is that we don't have a manifesto. Yeah. <laughs> First rule of nice games. Yeah. Club. <laughs> Only tabs, no spaces. Yeah. Well, um, so I don't think we've talked about this at all, but like the name of the show, Nice Games Club, is yeah. it's, I mean, it's a bit of a joke on Minnesota Nice, right? Mm-hmm. We're here in Minnesota and, you know, the, the show doesn't belong only here. In fact, according to our stats, we have half of our audience is outside, is not local. So that's pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. But, um, hello, fun. But we do talk <laughs> about our local community a lot because it's important to us. And I think that is part of what Nice Games Club is about, is about our local community. And it's great that it's, it's gone past that. Um, but that still is part of, why we do this show. And I'd like to think that's when we say we make nice games. I think that's what we're talking about. I mean, I don't think we've never really sat down and really discussed it, but that's what I think. It's, it's, a, it's about supporting each other as a community, but it doesn't say a lot about what the games are. So I, I don't know, maybe what do you guys think? What is a nice game other than one that's made by our community? Yeah, I think nice games to me means that we say mostly positive things, or at least mm-hmm. we try to not say very many like we complain about stuff and oh, yeah. like, or like, this is not what I think we should do or should be doing. Uh, but like, whenever I think or am thinking up of topics or thinking of like what games to play or whatever, I think, you know, what is, what is the, what are the things that I like about this? And that's what I, it's like, I used to teach a theater camp with a bunch of kids and the, uh, co-teacher, um, her like she's the one who made up the whole camp and or one of the people and the whole philosophy of that is like you um after everyone does their skit or whatever you can raise your hand and say something that you like and you can't give any negative criticism at all Uh and so basically what happens is that everyone gets to hear like all these cool things about it and then the things that people don't mention no one says anything bad to you but you just don't go with those ideas the ideas that don't end up working as well because mm-hmm. no one has said that they liked them. Right. If that yeah, makes right. sense, it's like you get encouraged along the path that people are responding to yeah. rather than pushed away from the things they're not. Yes, exactly. Mm. Uh, so that's sort of the sort of when I heard when you came up with the idea, Mark, I was like, yes, I love this because it's like that philosophy again, like yeah, we're yeah. saying stuff that we like uh, some stuff we don't like, but yeah. like the general thing. No, yeah. I like that because, yeah, we, we do our fair share of criticism, but like, because we're not Pollyannish, right? We don't, we're not ignoring things we don't like and mm-hmm. we take, you know, we are trying to be serious, but at the same time, I think with that positive attitude, yeah, that's a good way of expressing it for sure. Yes. I, I agree with both of you. <laughs> there it is, in action. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's like interpreting Nice Games Club as either nice comma games club or nice games club. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Leaving it a little open is, is good too. Right. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's part of it is like whatever, whatever nice games are is to you. Yeah. <laughs> is, is nice games. <laughs> yes. 
That way we don't have to keep a list or anything. Right, yeah. That, that gets tedious. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, if you have if you have an idea of what a nice game means to you, um, feel free to talk to us on Twitter or oh, yeah. on the... I would love to hear people's manifestos about like why they make games and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. That'd be so cool. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Let us know. Mm-hmm. All right, that's our show. If you haven't already, subscribe to Nice Games Club in your favorite podcast app and be sure to give it a good review if you liked it or a nice like us. We really do need to know you're out there, so leave a review and tell all your friends too. Also, give us feedback on the feedback form, please. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, put, put your back into it. Nice <laughs> Games Club, Stephen. Nice Games yes. Club. Nice Games dot club slash feedback please <laughs> <laughs> it, it, this would be a good place for you to tell us what a nice game is if you want mm-hmm. you also want to hear directly from you so follow us on twitter and all the other things at nice games club let us know how we're doing send us your topics and ask us your questions lastly you could find out more about the show and your nice hosts as well as get us all the links and show notes from this and other episodes at nicegames.club and so until we start again remember to play nice and make nice As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.